It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. All right, well, welcome to uh, Flake Miria, for a lack of a better name for this show. This was kind of an idea that popped into my head where I said, well, a lot of people seem to like us as a unit, Shinmiri, where it's like separately we may have our own set of fans and people who may not like us. But as a unit, I think that we kind of cover each other's bases. Like, I don't know if, if you're a Seinfeld fan, but there was like that episode where George and Jerry combine efforts to date a woman where... <laughs> like like Jerry's social skills within the date plus uh, plus George's sort of organizational skills of being able to plan the dates and keep Jerry on track together created like a one good human being. I feel like that's kind of where you and I are. However, I do also feel like I contribute a lot less to, to this conglomeration. Like, yeah, what you're trying to say is you are the yin to my yang. I'll and be we, that. I that's yeah. perfectly fine by me. <laughs> Because together we are some sort of round, peaceful shape, and that's all I that's want. Um, so, I mean, the 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 format of what this podcast is, I wouldn't even call it a podcast. I mean, it's just something where I figured people want to hear a little bit more about the game, but they also probably want to hear stuff that's just, you know, tangential from a lot of the major topics. But there's also a lot of questions out there that I feel are worth digging into in the concerns of the community, and who better to dive into them because frankly Shinmiri, i think that when you and i are broadcasting a tournament we don't get enough leeway to speak about all the stuff that we want to speak about right so why not just throw this out there and i i could not think of a better human being that i would do this with than you because it kind of crossed my mind where i'm like i could do this with someone else i could do this by myself but i need you as kind of like my not just my moral compass but as a set like an anchor to to, to so i don't stray off and and float adrift into the the netherworld of various... like the black hole of never-ending Star Wars uh, references. Yes, uh, and <laughs> in the questions that we fielded from Twitter and Reddit, there are some Star Wars-related questions. So I'll probably be able to tackle those better than you. But yeah, you are my you are my anchor and my heart and soul, uh, Shinmiri. So uh, that note, welcome to Flake Miri. That is basically the long-winded intro to the fact that this is just a show where Shinmiri and I talk about Gwent, but also tackle a lot of the questions that you throw our way. And I thought that this would be a good time also, Shinmiri, to just open every single episode with the most recent information about Dagon. Um, okay. So the current Dagon news is uh, none. Doesn't exist. Not happening. Yet. I will always end it with I, yet. I, you, as we know, you and I have no information on Dagon. Right. But... I heard a cool theory that Dagon, no, now they've kind of fleshed out the Frost archetype and the Rain archetype. I thought I heard an interesting theory that Dagon could be a way to flesh out the a Fog, a currently non-existing Fog archetype, in addition to Foglets and Ancient Foglets. Mm, you know, maybe it could do something similar to the old Woodland Spirit that had like uh, wolves with Fog and spawn stuff or summon things from the deck. That would like, be cool. It could be the centerpiece that's missing, is what we're saying here. Like, yeah. if there's that gigantic reveal, um, maybe in December? Maybe in January? Maybe never at all. I like to throw it out there. You know me, Shinmary. But... Who's going who's gonna to join the game first, Dagon or Renfrey? Oh, God. I will say, <laughs> can I just say that um, I want to give big props to whoever that dude is who just keeps posting custom cards. First of all, Reddit and custom cards. 
I hate to break it to everybody, but like 90% of them are complete garbage. And I'm not saying that I, I'm not trying to snuff out like the creative fires in people. It's great. I love it. I please be creative. But a lot of them are just absolutely t- terrible. And I'm not saying this to again, I'm not I'm I'm not going to name names or pick out what's terrible, what's bad. I just sometimes the worst part is the fact is that there's like sorting through Reddit has become a situation where I have to kind of scroll past like six terrible ideas before there's like one reasonable card. There's a whole subreddit for it, Shamiri. But this Renfrey dude, like, we get it. It's, it's like, I'm it just props to this dude's perseverance on this. But like, it's not like, I, I, I don't know. When has this ever worked? And I guess it's a gimmick, <laughs> but it's a way to sort of solidify yourself within, you know, the community lore. Sure. He's, he's made a name for himself already. Right. Oh, and and to what you said about like a, the the custom cards being bad, yeah, it, I think it goes to show it's just very difficult to be a game designer or a card card game designer because like you you got to consider so many different things about balance, about flavor, the themes, uh, if the card is interesting enough or too bland, like what synergies you could have, you know, uh, stat line and all those sort of things. Like, there's so many ways you could go wrong when you when you create a. And you're you're not wrong about that, and that's one of the concerns I think that a lot of people have. Uh, you know, they, they kind of got to the point where you, there are a lot of Gwent cards out there, unique actual Gwent cards. Uh, I believe there's something like nine hundred, close to a thousand unique printed cards that are playable, um, and that is a that's a lot of independent ideas. Now, obviously, there's a there's an ass load of throwaways. There's all there's a a ton of them which are deploy deal damage deploy boost or deploy vanilla or just you know they're they're not actual ideas there's filler but there is a situation where i feel you're eventually going to run out of steam and i don't want that to be a thing and i know that you and i uh in in a private discord you mentioned you're like i don't want to live in a world where we're running out of ideas and i agree with you on that one but i think that eventually you kind of you kind of run out of runway to a degree where eventually you have to either toss some coal in the fire to get a little bit more thrust going but you're you're like how much runway is left is what my question is i guess to you like this is this is an open discussion so you can definitely just slam me down on this um but i'm not saying this from a sky is falling perspective i'm saying it from a realistic perspective where there's only so many ideas that a team can have before something else has to change i'm currently i i think you and i are on different pages when it comes to this subject in terms of like uh, yeah, how much runway is left, and if something like a standard rotation would be necessary in the near future. I think we still have plenty of good ideas left, and I, and I was, you know, I I'm, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by this latest set of Harvest of Sorrow, and I feel like, you know, in the in the first four or five days of this season so far, I've played so many different decks, and I've tried a bunch of different things. I've been really happy, almost pleasantly surprised with the. Uh, the how i how i feel in the first week of this expansion i was a little bit worried coming in that maybe the the meta would be dominated by stuff like meditating mages or uh answer or lose threats behind defenders but five days in it doesn't it doesn't seem that bad i've been having a lot of fun this season so far and part of it is going to be because it's something fresh something new in the honeymoon phase but with this expansion i i think my hopes are a bit high that we still have uh a lot of good ideas out there that the dev team can come up with and keep things interesting without too much blatant power creep 
Right, and the blatant power creep, I think, is what, I mean, like, that just sort of qualifier. Like, there is going to be power creep, it's part of it, and what people don't understand, and and, and um, just to sort of back this up a bit, I have found that a lot of players who play Gwent typically are either, that's their first card game, or they don't really stray away. Gwent is so unique mm-hmm. in the sense that it's, it's you know, you have Magic the Gathering, the OG, to a degree, and a lot of cards are kind of modeled off, off that framework of there's two life totals, there's a mana system, you drop cards, you attack, and how that happens is where the 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 you know the dials and knobs are kind of twisted and turned to create something different. Gwent is completely different animal. There's no mana system. There's nothing like along those lines. There's three uh, rounds and, and such. So, but the the overlying fact remains that power creep is a thing. And what I think that a lot of players who play Gwent and don't play other card games realize don't realize is that this is just. A, 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 a thing that other card games go through and it's just a reality because when you're looking to insert new cards when cards are printed if they are not appealing to play um, then they're never gonna there's gonna be no incentive for players to acquire them there's gonna be no incentive for people to buy new cards to do this to do whatever even from a business perspective but even from a, a, a state of the fact that the game wants to be relevant and wants to be uh, appealing in every set it releases it needs to create um, a reason for people to buy them, and what's the reason? Well, you need cards that are going to replace cards that exist, and what's the re- how do you do that? You make them better. So power creep's a thing. Is it is it that black and white though? Like I don't think the only way to make people play new cards is to make them better than the existing competitive cards. I think one way to make players play new cards is to make them support a different archetype that currently isn't competitive. Right, but that while would keeping. While keeping the power level of those new cards relatively close to the power level of existing competitive. Okay, so I completely agree with you in that regard. In that regard, where there is a way to have an appeal on new cards because they support an an, an a, a existing archetype that doesn't get the support it needs right out of the box. Let's say, however. The overlying, or the I'm sorry, the underlying foundation of why people are getting those cards still exists. It's the fact that okay, there's this new card exists. Let's say for let's say there's a new card that that supports frost. Frost is kind of always fringe. It kind of comes in and out. People try it whenever new frost cards come out, and that's cool. I love frost. Frost in old beta days was one of my favorite decks to play. Loved it. In this regard. It's a power creep to the degree of there's a new card that supports an old archetype, but that old archetype already existed, and I want this card because it replaces a another four or five provision card that was filler for that deck prior. This is now a power. I, I guess power creep's not the right word because it's you know, but it's it's a support in that sense. Like I I I, I see the differential here, but it's still a situation where someone wants that card because it's an upgrade on another card. For something else and it, it's not directly it's not like well this is a five drop that represents eight points and this is a five drop that represents nine points that's a that's mm-hmm. a true power creep in the most purest of senses um i don't know if you played hearthstone back in the day but the most i did yeah so do you remember when goblins and gnomes came out in the four drop the piloted shredder came out that was the ultimate yes. four drop everything after that didn't compare to it every other four drop i don't care what kind of deck you're playing, synergy or not, that is the four drop you play because for pure stats to cost ratio, the for pure impact, that was the absolute best. And that kind of painted Hearthstone in a corner where like, if we ever want someone to play a four drop, it has to be better than this. But this is already so OP. And that 
kind of became a system where that always existed as a pillar in that degree. For instance, I, okay, I, I have something to add here. I think it. one issue with your example of Piloted Treader is that Piloted Treader was a neutral card, and you could play it in any deck. Whereas that's kind of why when you look at Gwent cards, the neutral cards are tend to be a little bit weaker to their faction counterparts or more of like a tech card. And so if you get like the top of the line, super competitive stat line on a neutral card, that's when it goes into every deck like Sunset Wanderers at 11 provisions on release, right? In order to, if you if Sunset Wanderer was never nerfed, then in order to replace that 11 provision slot for Sunset Wanderer, you have to print something even more ridiculous than that. And I think, you know, you can do that with a little bit more with uh, faction cards or archetype specific cards, give them a strong payoff card that's maybe slightly stronger than the, the the baseline the competitive baseline elsewhere but it only works in this archetype and that could be one way to to uh encourage people to play certain archetypes um on the other hand a bad example would be a card like fakusha in my opinion because fakusha while it does support the rain archetype it's just so strong stat it's so efficient stat wise um that it can be inserted into any Skellige deck. It can be inserted into a warrior deck. It could be in a reckless flurry control deck, and we're seeing that already. And um, it might be originally intended to support rain, but it's not going to end up. L- looking at it right now, from my perspective, it's probably not going to end up pushing rain to a, a top tier competitive level, but rather just played in previous uh, strong SK decks. Yeah, back when Gwent was a four gold system, like there was only four cards, that's where power creep was the most dangerous because you only had four cards. There was no provision system around it. Like now you can kind of adjust and, and, and tweak cards from that regard to, you know, maybe hone in or, or adjust the card from a power creep perspective. But back in the day, I say that like I sound like I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I like we are old in in the grand scheme of like what the kind of standard demographics are for card games and such but um we're not old you and i are not old i'm just gonna say that okay we're young and we're vibrant and we're awesome that's what i'll say but exactly. uh when gwent was in beta and there was a, only a four card gold system that's where power creep was the best because at the time it was a situation like this, like this is just str- like strictly the best card in this of the four like i there's these two for this faction and nothing else and then the other two you can kind of rotate in and out it's just the way it is um that said i think that power creep in gwent is like it's a real thing but uh, like the the difference is and i know that we're talking about standard rotation and such and trust me i i don't want there to be a standard rotation but i understand that in the same way that you know I don't want to go get a freaking colonoscopy. I sometimes it's necessary for the health, right? Like I that's a really gruesome kind of comparison, but you know, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Um and standard rotation to me, and I I I, I knew I was going to catch flack for this and it is the way it is. Um standard rotation is a situation where eventually less is more to a degree. Um and I am in the same camp as you, Shin, where I am so hopeful and confident even that there are still plenty of ideas where this is not necessary. But the symptoms are there, and I think that it's something that needs to be considered. And before you chime in, I just want to throw everyone out. Because also, people don't know what standard rotation is. It's completely possible. Basically, what standard rotation is is that um, whatever the legal format is, 
for for competitive Gwent, it's like a block. There's like one core set that is universally played in 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 every single t- every single season, and then based on let's say calendar year, they rotate out um, the two years ago and and beyond sets. So there's only the most recent two years worth of sets. Let's say one year to two years worth of sets that are legal. That's what it is. Just to, to go there, but. Um, from a less is more perspective, there are cards now that we have seen that, from a design perspective, are limited by existing cards that just bust them, uh, that break them, that cannot. There are ideas that are just that don't make it past the development stage or the development, you know, theoretical stage where people are just discussing ideas because cards exist that bust them. By having a rotation, some of those cards will eventually rotate out that opens up space and, and more real estate for other cards to exist. Now, obviously, that is under the premise that there's just no more ideas to be had, which I don't believe there is. I, I Sorry, I, or which I don't believe is true. I believe there are plenty of ideas to be had. But I think it's something that needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something to take into consideration. I just, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think there are plenty of archetypes that are... Uh, not competitive right now that could see more support uh, in the form of newly printed cards or even in the form of uh, buffing old existing cards. And my my hope for Gwent, my, I think the biggest you know couple things that I want for Gwent is one archetype diversity in the meta. I want to see you know a healthy number. I don't want to just have one competitive archetype per faction or one competitive leader per faction. Um, and then I want good balance between the different factions and the archetypes within the same faction. And I want a feeling of player agency. That's the reason why I came to Gwent from Hearthstone in the first place. I want to, after I play a game, I want to feel like I can say, oh, okay, we, I won or lost because of the decisions I made in uh, here, here, and here, or the mistakes me or my opponent made here or here, you know. Uh, and I don't want to feel like it came down to either uh, just an unwinnable matchup or draw, card draw RNG or card effect RNG. Those are the things that I want to avoid. Or like, yeah, I didn't draw my my Purify to the Defender in round one, and so that's the main reason I lost, and it was kind of like out of my control. Yeah, uh, that you and I are on the same page on that one. I left Hearthstone because I was so sick of my piloted shredder dropping a doomsayer and ruining my board. Like it's just, oh, okay. it's legitimately that's what it is. And I, if you ever spoke to any of my close friends who played it, they knew that it was like it drove me insane. That a, a game that and uh, that I loved so much, a genre of gaming that I loved so much, would betray me in those types of ways. That's why I'm still to this day incredibly grateful to McBeard for showing me Gwent because the RNG elements were you know, to a degree, uh, tuned where they're predictable but unpredictable, where I'm going to do it one damage, we don't know where it's going to land, but we know that there's one damage that's going to occur off this trebuchet or off this old-school Arcaspore or whatever. Like, there was a certain amount of RNG that was digestible, and um, and you could, you know, it was accountable. Like, you, could, you, you can sit there and, and predict at least what the overarching outcome might be. Um, I agree with you. I think that there's still a lot of there's a lot of room to grow and support existing archetypes. For instance, like I've I have thrown ideas out for what I think reveal should be, and reveal to me should be something along the lines of a bronze card that says 
boost self by one for every gold card in your opponent's hand boost self by you know like or if your opponent has a gold special card it gains shield if it has a gold unit it gains plus two if it you know like things like that where it's not just flipping a card over but it's a deductive reasoning thing where mm, i uh, like that i think that I that's like that something idea. that can certainly i like I, I released a video about this like about a year and a half ago or a year ago where i i actually fleshed out i'm like here are five examples of cards so things to that degree uh where eventually you just you can based on what your p- opponent is playing and whatever uh you know like i know that it's this faction this leader i've seen these cards and based on the information i've gathered from my quote-unquote reveal like it could be called something like maybe not reveal like but espionage or something like mm-hmm. that uh um, where where uh, yeah you just you gain the information and if you're paying attention you could kind of put two and two together it's like one of those situations like does he have it well if i'm paying attention i know that he had three gold cards left you know there's one card left in his hand and i've only seen two gold so far like things like that but Right, right. The beta version of Reveal was you actually flipped over cards and you got to see them. Whereas this example, I like it because it's like it's incomplete information. And you have to put the pieces of the puzzle together to give yourself a higher, uh, a better educated guess of what they may or may not have. Yes. Like, and imagine. It'll reward like better players who are more in tune with the meta and have already a good baseline of what they're potentially playing in their deck, and that can help you solidify. Okay, well, this is probably this card then, and I can play around it. Exactly, like uh, boost self by the highest provision card in your opponent's hand, or boost self by the provision cost of the unit all the way to the leftmost of the hand or something like that where you're getting information it's like oh this thing boosted by nine so there's a nine provision card so maybe they do have that yen's invocation in hand or something like that like and it, it it's it's like you said it rewards the player who's paying attention who's more in touch with the meta it's not this is not a paint by numbers follow the guide off of the meta report and you're going to succeed with it because you need to actually kind of think through things uh all that to say is that yeah there's a lot of room for other archetypes to grow and this past little drop with price of power the harvest of sorrows has actually done a lot especially for not just bonded not just mages but hand buff as well and i think that's why i'm confident that there's still a lot that they can dig into for instance Mm -hmm. when um when dagon comes out in january um when so this whole fog thing that you're talking about he's <laughs> like just look shaking his head in disgust i'm just like oh god how many people are gonna actually believe flake and take his word for this uh this could gonna be... get the pitchforks out when it doesn't come out in january there's always one there's always one where they're like in a broadcast where i'll just allude to it where they haven't been paying attention for what i don't know two years where i've been making these false claims but uh yeah shinmiri's disgust could either be in the sense of maybe i broke my nda and i'm I'm completely fired now or maybe i've been beating this fake dagon drum and people have been believing me uh well we'll see in january uh january 17th uh when uh, that happens but uh yeah so i think there's a lot of room to grow for other archetypes so i think that power creep they need to sort of tune tune down those you know those situations of like Okay, a four provision card that's just seven points. Bam on the board. Like, are they gonna prevent? Are they gonna print like a, a a no circumstance eight for four, you know, or a very low risk eight for four? Like, that's what they need to kind of tune back from. But I do sincerely believe that, um, that some type of I don't want to say a standard rotation necessarily, but some type of rotation 
is is not necessarily imminent. I don't think that it's a hundred percent necessary this instant, but I do believe it's a consideration that needs to be taken seriously, uh, and not as a panic button, not as a sky is falling, oh we're fucked kind of situation. No, this is just a natural progression. It is a consequence of a successful card game. Eventually, this happens, and you got to get there. And for those who think that it's gonna reduce the the latitude for design it actually increases it because you have less restrictions to print new crazy shit um but i get what you're saying i think that there's definitely there's definitely pros and cons to it it's not just one-sided right Mm -hmm. like like you said it opens up design space for the for the team to to print like uh wackier things that potentially would have been broken with certain synergies to cards that would be outside the rotation um but i think like one for me one of the downsides is i don't like the idea of of preventing deck builders and players from being able to come up have have more possibilities to think about things to combine things in in uh interesting ways and what i have mentioned before in the private discord was that right now for the last like six 12 months i've really enjoyed deck building i felt like when you build a lot of archetypes, at least the ones that are fleshed out already in the game, uh, you have d- many difficult decisions to make on what you put into that deck list, like what secondary archetype you combine it with your main to combine with your main archetype, and like every card slot is valuable, and you have to make a difficult decision on what to play in that card slot. Whereas at the first year and a half, two years of Homecoming, the the card pool was so small, and the number of competitively statted cards were so low that when you built an archetype it was just like oh well these are the only 20 cards that are well statted right now so we gotta put them in and then you've got like five cards left that you can kind of that's it yeah there's a lot there's actually a lot of wild hunt cards out there now like surprisingly so and that's uh that's a nice thing i think that you know certain archetypes are actually just sometimes it's literally just missing one piece right um you know one one good you know solid built card that can you know kind of like the the self eater like the self eater was was i don't want to say it was an anchor for that but it was another bronze option that was incredibly powerful for a deck that may have had issues creating um creating winning rounds that didn't commit too many golds for for monsters slamming down vanilla points is fine but you'd kind of want to get a lot of extra uh, reach off of your cards or where self-eater really came through clutch uh, to kind of pull relics not out of the out of the dirt but between that and melusine i i always feel that archetypes are typically rescued by very very good bronze support where those big impact goals can you know can be held on to if you're developing a board and self eater was definitely one of those cards and i feel like a reveal archetype obviously needs to be built up from the ground uh, built from the ground up but things like like you said frost fog um soldiers you know um assimilate is still good assimilate's excellent actually it, it, i think that with arto and those types of cards assimilates mm-hmm. just perfectly fine right now uh, but all across, like mages, pirates start, and ships. Pi- there you go, pirates, pirates and ships. Exactly. Even though Skellige is the loserest faction of all time, um, oh that, my! I know all right, you, well, that, that's the end of this that's podcast, the, that's right the there. <laughs> one episode. Yeah, exactly. This is a limited edition. Get the NFT right now because this is this is the one of. Uh, but yeah, I think that you're right, and I think that uh, I, I will agree to disagree on the sense that 
it, it's unnecessary. That standard rotation just never needs to happen. Uh, I think that it, it's a consideration, and uh, I, I like you, am glad with the past content drops because they have felt, you know, they have felt different. They have strayed away from those uh, previous design pitfalls that we've seen of just create or you know a framework, some sort of template of okay, here's here's five provisions. It should represent eight to nine points on the high end, how do we do it? Well, five deal four damage or four deal five damage or something like those. Like yeah. those pitfalls need to be avoided. And and I think that that's- uh, I, I think you can't, nobody can say that the latest set price of power has been bland. Definitely it's not. Far from it, right? Yeah. D definitely not. Uh, one thing that just kind of scares me sometimes is there's this cycle that occurs wherever, whenever new cards comes out is the first couple of days, everybody goes down those greedy routes with the new cards. And that's perfectly fine and, and understandable because people want to see the, 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 you know, the end of the rainbow on where these massive plays can end up. And we've seen it with like, you know, uh, 18 meditating mages on a board, <laughs> in a you know, things like that. Like we've seen where it goes, but there's an, there's a, a very swift, uh, overcorrection towards control to to deal with it, where people are yeah. figuring out that there is a lot of, la you know, there is a lot of reach with these cards. There is a, a high ceiling for them. So, all those who do not want to play it or cannot necessarily grasp it will have to go back and revert to a control element where they can rein it in. Um, and one thing that I do worry about for sure uh, is the fact that this that Gwent needs to be able to create some type of happy medium that is viable that isn't one of the two extremes not engine greed overload put more threats than your opponent can handle and the other end of the spectrum of i just need to play as much removal and play as many if point efficient cards to win rounds as possible keep their stuff well, off the board and put mine versus uh the i'm gonna drop as many things that they can handle as fast as possible right and it's not just those two because there is a triangle of greed. <laughs> You've got the threats that you mentioned, like meditating mages, mm -hmm. the control heavy, like no unit Squiatel, for example, or Maddox list. And then you've got that third vertex of the triangle, which is point slam. And, and I do agree with you that it tends to start out very greedy, then swiftly overcorrect to super control. And I think over the next few days, we're going to see more and more people start playing like the point slam good stuff deck, like, uh, for example, Devotion Symbiosis. It's a little bit of point slam, a little bit of uh, engines, but like something that's just very good against control, but also just has a ton of slant points. Your favorite deck, Lippy, maybe could be one of those. <laughs> the yeah. eyebrows, the, the eyebrows coming yeah, up. There's here. a reason why this is also a, a visual medium for everyone is the fact that the disgust can actually beam through space right back at you for that one. So, so I think, you know, uh, the third leg, the point slam decks could be a very good response to the overcorrection to control. And then the ideal, like we, what we want to get to is a happy medium, like you said, where there's a equilibrium between the three archetypes in the meta and it's not one is so much stronger than the other two that would be out of whack and what i want is i don't want a rock paper scissors type of meta where control always beats greed and greed always beats point slam and point slam always beats control but more like advantages of like 60 60 40 or 65 35 rather than like the 90 10 so the, even if you come up against 
an unfavorable matchup. There are still ways that you can outplay your opponent, outsmart them, do things like split up rounds in certain ways, you know, fight for round one, um, some, you know, cool tactics um, specific to the matchup, like Lydia stealing an orb of insight to be super impactful uh, by denying their carryover and maybe getting you more carryover as well as assimilate procs. Just like really cool things like that, like... Um, Killing your own unit against Keltullus so that the Keltullus burns herself that we've seen in super high level competitive Gwent tournaments uh, in the past. Just yes. like really out of the box, unintuitive type thinking that if that sort of, uh, you know, ingenuity can help you win unfavored matchups, then that's that's what I would really like for us to settle down in so that the matchups aren't so coin aren't so like black and white that there is some gray in there yeah that there's actual there's a chance right i mean mm -hmm. it's it's not like you're walking in to a massacre every single time you queue in and you see the leader and you're like well i lose like it, it there are feelings like that um mm -hmm. you know um but yeah i i agree i hope that it, it kind of like you said there's this initial pendulum swing towards greed and trying out new combos and the overcorrection to the other side something in the middle needs to be able to be viable for for the game to to thrive and have a healthy meta and i think that'll get there uh, there are a lot of bigger brains than mine out there who are developing stuff you for one obviously but i mean that are developing decks and trying new things and and uh, hopefully it'll it'll when the dust settles, there is a a vast array because there it did exist. There there were bad metas and there were great metas and there were mm -hmm. diverse metas that were were just wonderful to exist in where you never knew what you were up against. So uh, I don't want to have to create a new account and fight my way from rank twenty five to just see something new. It's 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 I I'm gonna rely on everyone out there to do their best. Um, that said, Shinmiri, uh, we do have a mailbag to get into, and I think you have access to some of the questions as well. I've written a whole bunch of them out. I think that yeah. uh, we're going to take a couple minutes here to address you, the viewer. Um, I wouldn't say fans. I don't know if we have fans, but we do have viewers and people in the community who appreciate us. So they did send us some questions. So I'm going to pick one, then you could pick one, and we can kind of go through them until... Uh, until we're not going to go through all of them we'll save some for next time but there were plenty also uh, if you're listening to this and you want to send us a question drop us a line on twitter uh at watchflake for myself at shinmiri number two two shinmiri two or uh just keep an eye out we'll uh, throw out another calling uh on twitter like reddit or twitter or whatever but uh these are the ones we have now and uh, i'm going to open us up here uh with uh this question coming from nowhere off of reddit and uh, they ask what is your fave deck your favorite deck in any meta of all time all right so can i say two is that cheating it's absolutely I, uh, <laughs> cheating but we, everyone knows that you are a filthy cheater shinmiri so yes go for it all right so i have uh nostalgia and personal bias for veterans from open beta because it was the first deck that I was known for as a streamer. It's the deck. It's the reason why I started streaming because I got like the highest SK FMMR uh, on that season with veterans, and it was just it was a deck that a lot of the community viewed as uh, easy or very basic, or you know, kind of just play an idiot, play another idiot. But I really think there were so many nuances to that deck, especially with the round control and pushing your opponent. And because of my personal, you know, history with it, I would say that's one of my favorites. And then the second one, it would be uh, Nilfgaard 
assimilate because I th- and, and that's very relevant right now because I think it is a deck that is just so diverse in its lines of potential play that every even playing the same matchup, uh, you know, multiple times in a row can result in very very different uh, game experience because it's so creative and so flexible in terms of uh, what you can copy and what you can play. I've said this multiple times to many people, uh, especially at CDPR. I've said that Nilfgaard is and uh, and has been for a long time the most flavorful, fun, engaging faction. It's also the most no-fun faction, but I think it's the, the most decision-tree-heavy faction out there. And I incredibly appreciate that kind of gameplay where you have to build up for these massive turns. It's, 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 uh, it's a situation where, yeah, there's... There's the simple way of playing, you know, uh, a Blightmaker and, and having a, a Mage come out and have this massive tempo thinning play. Sure, that's one way. But there's also a way of what do I drop spying on? How do I do this? Where do I disrupt their rows? I love that. I think that that uh, is a great faction. Uh, so what is my favorite deck of all time in any meta ever? I will say that... Before Deathwish was ever a thing, I was the Deathwish guy. I don't mean to say this to toot my own horn, but back before, remember Dao? Uh, it was like that six, that six drop that would when it, the death, uh, the, the Deathwish was it would drop those two three point bodies or the two two point bodies. Uh huh. Yeah, and then the old Griffin was trigger a, a bronze unit Deathwish like. It was like a 17-point bronze play. Uh, there was that. Also, Cyclopses tossing those bad boys. Control. I uh, I would crush with that list before anyone gave Deathwish any respect. Uh, I was still a nobody. Probably still I'm a nobody. But it's that that was one of the decks that I loved the, the most was that one. Uh, and the second one was a list that I played that uh, was back when Zoltan would create the, Zoltan would create the bird. It was back when Calvate's old ability of look at the top three cards on your deck and play one. So what mm-hmm. I would do is I would stack my back row. Uh, I would play Fisher King, not the Fisher King, Albrecht. Put, um, I would put Vivian de Tabri on top. Was it Vivian de Tabri? The one that like boosts or sets someone's power to their provision. Yeah, okay. So I would my last play would be Zoltan to either swipe their row, like damage their stacked row, or boost my full row. Calvite to get um, Cal- Vivian. Vivian, and then boost my Zoltan up to 15. And that nice. was a huge play, and I got this I got this deck to pro rank, and nobody ever knew it. I still have the deck guide on my YouTube. It Nobody gave a shit about it, but I played it to pro, and I felt happy about it. That was That's cool. the best. That's the best. Like, I love playing off-meta stuff, or even... Yeah, even just slightly off meta stuff like nobody else is really playing your list and you you're there's an extra level of satisfaction when you are able to do well with a list that nobody else really gives much respect to or you yeah. stay in the lab, do your own thing. There's a little bit of love to it. No no hatred for those who I'm admittedly just a terrible deck builder in general. I I'll hit one home run for every hundred strikeouts. So like my my success rate isn't usually worth the effort and like mental anguish of testing this stuff out. But uh, when I do hit those home runs, feels good. Uh, yeah. All right. Your your turn, Shinra. You can pick one out of the bag. All right. I'm picking uh, a one from J. No Snacks. If one of you was a superhero and the other a villain, who would be who, and what would your powers? be? 
okay, this one is so easy for me because there's absolutely no way I would be the hero. Um, if it was you and I and the one had to be the hero and one had to be the villain, I'm 100% sure that you do not have a bad bone in your body. So even if I am 99% good, that 1% is already infinitely more bad than you could, you have the potential to be. I don't know. You might actually be a terrible human being, but from all of our interactions, I cannot detect any ounce of badness. So off of that, then I would have to be the villain. Um, my power, and this is purely from my own secret nasty wishes. I mean, yeah, flight, super speed, you know, invisibility, mind reading, all that. It, my simple power would be anytime there is a coin flip, anytime there's a two-outcome random result, I would win it every time. One out of three, up in the air. RNG, you know, let, let it— Only let, 50-50s. Only 50-50s, true 50-50s. Any time of, like, two-outcome scenario, I always win it. That is my superpower. And well, I mean, if you that's think even a stronger that's an even stronger superpower than you think, because according to Twitch chat and Reddit, every single probability question is a 50-50. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it either happens or it doesn't. It's true, exactly. It, when, it, when you boil it down to two results, then yes, it's always a 50-50. But I would always, you know what? And then maybe that's kind of like how I lawyer my way into all these things happening. It's like. Okay, I have this lottery ticket. What are the odds of winning? Well, it's like one in whatever, you know, one in three hundred something million. Okay, cool. Um, so let's let's just change this to it either happens or it doesn't. Now it's two outcomes. I will win my outcome favorably. I win the lottery. <laughs> like that is lawyering that, and that might be a little bit uh, of a, a cop out on that. But yeah, any true fifty fifty, that would be my uh, that would be my superpower. All right. So I was gonna choose villain. But since you claim the villain, I will have to claim the misguided hero that ends up becoming the villain. Because my superpower would be something time-related or rope-related. I would, I would, you know, encourage everybody to take their time to make their decisions, to think it through. But then that would somehow get, like malevolently warped into you know forcing people to waste a bunch of time and sit there and and you know like subject them to their opponent roping so something like that so you're saying that every time there's a technical difficulty when we're broadcasting a, a major event that is that is your fault that you are the one who is creating the situation that is wasting their time <laughs> i like it and then you could have like these catchphrases like well if, like it seems your situation has become ropeless and <laughs> you could have all these wicked cool catchphrases regarding time uh okay so but like I, you started off as a so are we both villains does this mean that I might have started off as a hero, but, you know, you live long enough to become the villain. I guess. I suppose so. Um, so then I guess we'll have to, like, the follow-up question to to this would be, like, whoever the other casting pair is would be, like, our foils. They would be whoever has to – okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, there's your answer, Jano Snacks. Thank you for submitting that via Twitter. Uh, we've got uh, – here's another one. Um, 
Let's go with, uh, all right, here's, here's one from Ryan Godrick, actually. Ryan Godrick writes in via Twitter, what is your all-time favorite Gwent moment? Oh, man. That is a really tough one. Well, okay, so let's let's dissect this a little bit, or maybe just kind of chop it up a bit. Let's say what's your favorite moment re- regarding you, particularly, mm-hmm. and the favorite moment that maybe you've witnessed uh, from from another from a broadcast or something. Like I have a few really good moments, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know if you want to you want to open this one up. Okay. My favorite moment rega- uh, regarding me, I think, would actually be one regarding us, where we ad-libbed the uh, the Tailbot interview with you holding the Tailbot <laughs> shirt in front of your face. I thought that was amazing, and that's one of the moments that I will definitely remember for the rest. Of- I want to throw. So this- I really like that one. I want to throw this out there to to, to everybody listening: is the fact that. Um, Shinmiri and I, I mean, we live on opposite ends of the continent of North America. We don't like we don't hang out very often. We work together and we work well together and we love each other, but uh it's not like we're we're, you know, going out for coffee and, and like every other day or whatever. So there is always a little bit of ambiguity regarding what how the other may respond to you know our own personalities or how we're approaching certain subjects and stuff like that and especially early on when you and i started broadcasting together like we didn't really have a lot of experience together we've hung out together we've enjoyed our companies together but when that happened like there were two there were like two events that occurred that were prior to that where i was like this guy i can work with this guy has what i want which is he's he's not going to He's not going to let my, you know, my serve just hit a wall and die on the ground. Like, he's going to return it. So there was the there was the infamous Shinmiri Balls episode, uh, uh, incident. <laughs> so uh, I, I've told the story many times. You've told it many times. For those uh, of the you who don't know it, this is going to be the last time I ever probably tell this story for a long time. We were in uh, Warsaw for a tournament. And uh, I, I think I, I'd, I think I'd met you, I'd met you before, but it was the first time I think you were on the analyst desk with Green Cricket, if I'm not, uh, yeah, yeah. And right. Challenger Five, I think. Challenger Five. It was the day that we were there, I believe, for rehearsals on the Friday, just the day before we do rehearsals. We're there for like six or seven hours, you know, test the wardrobe. We meet the makeup people and do all that stuff. Anyways, there's a cafeteria, and we go and get food. And I go sit down, and what I got was, like, this uh, rice and, like, a gigantic meatball. And I got two because I'm a big boy. Ma, you know, mama wants her son to eat, so I ate. I sit down next to Shinmiri. And, again, my interactions with Shinmiri had been relatively – how do I explain this? Uh, cordial. They've been very business-related, professional. But, like, we yeah. hung out. We had a good time. So I sit down, and we're just chatting. And Shinmiri looks at me deadpan and says crystal clear as day my flake those are some big balls you got there and i was just like what the hell who is this guy and like it's such standard you know not it's not like layered humor it's just balls (laughs) and like i was like okay i can work with this guy that was the first one the second one shin was when we were casting with, and we were doing the, the cast for the guy, I forgot his name, and I, I feel embarrassed, but he was rapping and singing while he was doing it. Forever YOLO. That's yeah. it. And 
when, you know, we just randomly threw out the whole, like, is knees weak, arms are ready, and or, or arms are heavy, and you're like, yeah. and then you just come back with the next Eminem lyric, and we just go through that. Like, that was unscripted. That was not planned, but we exactly. went with it. And that's when I was like, perfect. This guy is not just going to absolutely, you know, just slam the door shut on on yeah. your shenanigans <laughs> you're not gonna like gandalf you shall not pass with this joke kind of thing on me and that was one of the best things so when it comes to all-time fave moments um i think that that moment where we did that joke but it was completely that was a great moment for me because it basically not that it put to rest any doubts i had about you because i never had doubts about you but i had reservations about having a new casting partner and being able to to be myself because even when i casted with mcbeard there were certain things where casting with mcbeard like he knew my personality and we jived and it was great but there were certain things where like he just wouldn't let me fly with certain elements of my personality because there was he wanted to maintain a certain level of professionalism which is hilarious because you think it's like okay and, and to his to his credit good job because there are certain things that he wouldn't let me fly with or he wouldn't just kind of pass back to me uh but yeah like with you i'm not saying that you're just letting shit go because you don't care (laughs) you're just like i'm gonna let you breathe and spread your wings and be yourself and i'm gonna be myself and we're gonna see where this goes and i like where it's gone so that's that's just i think it also comes across better when the both of us are having a lot of fun doing the casting and it's not just pure work it's also enjoyment. Yes. Right? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And I've said this before that I don't I do not do things I, I that make me unhappy. I may do them for a bit until I realize that, but doing this makes me unhappy. And I am not somebody who is not vocal about things that I am not okay with. So mm. uh I, I'll take I'll take people's shit, I'll take people's ire. But that's uh, that's kind of where where we're at with that. Uh, let's do one more question each. I know there's, I think we fielded like easily a dozen questions or so, but we're gonna save some for next time. So again, if you didn't hear your question this time, we'll hit it uh, another time. But thank you so much for everybody for for going in. Um, my favorite Gwent moment, I think, was that uh, in terms of gameplay. There's a few. There's the uh, ages ago. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember when uh, it was three row Gwent? It was play Necker, Necker got banished, play Necker, Necker got banished, play yeah. Necker, Necker got banished, and it was a concession. It was a concede on turn, like their fourth turn. Yeah. I forgot who the players Colum were. versus Super JJ, I think. In yeah. challenger number two, it might have been. Yeah, that, that, I, it was like way, way back there. Season one, challenger two. I thought that was incredible of basically eggs meat basket this is where all of my points are lying it's in these neckers if you answer them that's the way it goes and it worked and i like the concession there because it's like i think back then it was also there was still uh there was still closed deck lists so uh, for the first round mm-hmm. so rather yeah. than show my opponent more cards in a losing thing it's like i'm gonna pull the shoot on this one and that was one of the most amazing things i've seen in any uh, in any card game uh comp- competition was the it, conceding after three cards it was a great example of um hard targeting strategy working at a conquest tournament right yeah and just come you know your deck with all these banishes with cyprian wiley whatever like it might not be the best for uh 
just an all-around field. But if you're only looking to beat this one specific deck that you think will be very popular at this tournament, that and you and you happen to hit it, then that could give you a really big advantage in uh, and a really big head start in that in that series. So, yeah, props to Super JJ. I think was the one that pulled it off uh, against Colomon. And for me, my uh, one of my favorite moments that I witnessed. I would have to say would be challenger number four, the first event that I was actually a part of as an analyst, where uh, my good friends and teammates, Demorcus and Andy Wand, they uh, finished first and second in that challenger tournament. They they came in with this uh, very greedy strategy with, uh, I think it was like Olaf and Siri Nova or Siri Dash or something back then. Um, and... It was just wonderful for me. It's personal bias for me as well because they were my teammates. I worked with them. You know, I, I, I practiced with them. I hung out with them during uh, the trip as well. And I believe, I know you were there. You, the three of us, me, you, Demarcus, even had yeah. a little nice stroll through old Warsaw. It was stroll. It was a two-hour march uh, right after we, I hadn't slept for, I think I had, we traveled in. I got on a plane on the Tuesday night. So I was up all day, overnight flight, couldn't sleep, landed, spent the entire next day up uh, as well, went on this freaking gig- – like this march that he put us on. First of all, <laughs> DeMarquis, I love you. I absolutely adore you. Uh, uh, but my legs were like, fuck this. I'm going to back to the hotel. Like my brain was dead. I had been up for probably about 25 or 26 straight hours by that point. And I'm like, it's only noon, and here I have to go on this gigantic – thing but i'm like i can't fall asleep now because i'll never get my 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 clock up but that was my first event as well i was the ho- i was hosting that event that was the skeleton yeah. event right yeah yes yes exactly and i think like pretty much everything regarding that event was like my my favorite moment that i uh witnessed and demorcus winning because his teammate and just also like the whole event the first live gwent event that i was a part of and just hanging out with all of uh you guys you know different players the cast the crew and meeting everybody for the first time. That was just in playing like Gwent charades and, and board games at night. That was just so awesome. Those were great. We'll definitely have that one up there too. Um, all right. Uh, last one. Uh, you can pick it, uh, Shinmiri, before we um, we wrap this all up. Right. I am going to pick a short one from Tendesu. Who are your top three players in Gwent history? That is a short one, but that is a deep one, if I may say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, Tendesu, thank you again for that submission via Reddit. So who are your favorite or top three players in Gwent history? Okay. So I had this kind of discussion going on where I was like, if there was a Gwent Hall of Fame, who would be in it? And this spans back all the way. It has to be from closed beta onward, and you have to address that. I will say Colmone is in there a thousand percent. I think that Colmone is one of the top three players in Gwent history. I have to say that Freddie Babes is as well. Uh, for If you go back and look at su- the success and earn, not just earnings, but success, earnings, placement, Freddie Babes in season one was like untouchable, uh, absolutely untouchable. Uh, and after that, I want to say life coach. I want to say life coach. And I know that a lot of people are, are aware that I'm a big fan of Tailbot, but I think that Tailbot is like a, a solid number four. But I think that, it's going to be Colomone because Colomone is just like fucking ice veins, just completely calculated, unperturbed, un like there's nothing gets to this guy. I don't know if there's hockey fans out there, but if you guys know Carey Price, he's a goaltender. 
nothing bothers this guy on the ice. He's always calm no matter what the pressure is. He's like the carry price of Gwent. High success rate. Does it. Uh, Freddie Babes, innovative. Brought some spice to the tournaments. Success rate in round in, in season one was unmatched. And Life Coach. Life Coach was enthusiastic. Life Coach was freaking excellent at the game. Absolutely in, ridiculously excellent. Hardworking. And just, I think, one of the best players. Uh, again, you have to take it from the snapshot of when they played. Because there's a lot of people who came into the game and don't even know who this guy is. But... Mm-hmm you have to realize that this guy is he is just built to win card games and not only cards. not only is he such a good player but he's also really one of the most influential players to the community and and Gwent as a game sure right like he brought over a lot of people from Hearthstone including myself and he was uh the face of the game for a long time in the beta yeah uh, so i'm i'm taking this from a perspective purely of performance and just best from a skill perspective but yeah. yeah that if you're factoring in that as well life coach even just shoots up beyond those other players because you're right from an influential standpoint let's be fair no matter what it, if, if he picks up gwent again today and logs in he will have a thousand people watching him play in, yeah. in 10 minutes it's just the way he is and um that's not that's not you know because he's uh He's not controversial. He's not. Uh, he's not a gimmick. He's just an excellent human being playing a card game at a high level with an innovative eye and an analytical eye and an insightful mind, and is just really enthusiastic about it. But yeah, and those those are my top he, three. Yeah, and he also hosted the Gwent Slam Gwent Together tournaments. Oh too, yes, old school Gwent huge. Slams. Those mm-hmm. were two of those bad boys. Uh, maybe. So I had said, uh, this is just completely tangential here, but I had said, I uh, tweeted out a couple months ago that I am putting together a Gwent Together in Toronto in 2022. Um, I'm still waiting for the world to heal, but I promise you that the wheels are turning on that. So uh, keep that and keep keep an, uh, your mind's eye open for that. Uh, probably. Definitely, definitely going to be keeping my eyes and ears open for that one. Well, I got um, I, I got a couch for you to ride, buddy. You know what? You could have the bed. I will ride the couch. That's how much oh. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for me, okay, so you said Colomone, Life Coach, and Freddy Babes. For me, if I'm talking about top-performing competitive player skill, I, I have to include the champions of World Masters Season 1 and Season 2. So that's Colomone and Pyable. So I would say Colomone, Pyable, and then for the third player, I would say Tailbot. Because over the three seasons of Gwent, he has been consistently there at all three, in all, like top performing in all three seasons. You know, he was uh, forced to be reckoned with in season one. Won multiple, you know, Gwent Opens throughout season one, two, and three. And then he won the first Gwent Open in season three, and he's already got his spot at season uh, three world masters is he i have to i wonder i think Tailbot might be the only player to attend went world masters season one two and three well uh i i so i have to say Tailbot as as my third it's hard for me to disagree uh that he just his impact again there's there's been so many amazing players over the four five six seven year history of the game Five-year history? Six-year history? And, yeah. Um, and Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Tailbot is also an innovator. Mm-hmm. He is 
somebody that when everyone thought line pockets or cleaver when the leader was cleaver back then every thought everyone thought that was not good right he it was not a good leader i don't remember what leader they were using tailbot brought cleaver to i think challenger number five uh-huh and we asked him, you know, why did you bring Cleaver? Everybody else is bringing this other syndicate leader. And he straight up says, because he's better. Yes. Like yes. The, the other players just don't, don't, aren't doing it right. They're not playing the best deck. This is the best deck. And what happened? He played it at this Gwent Challenger. And after that, everybody played Cleaver. Because they realized the strength of Cleaver was that it combined the ability to put Bounty with through Slander... In one on the same turn as you played Graydon, and it it made this like broken two card and one card two cards in one turn combo that people just didn't see. But Tailbot was innovative enough to be the one who saw that and confident in, in it enough to bring it to a high stakes tournament. Yeah, uh, we we won't, so when we're in Warsaw, uh, basically what happens is uh, there's usually a couple days prior, and like all the players and the casters and such are, are basically kind of in the same hotel, but we all go to eat together and whatever. And we all went out, and there was a one of the nights was at a a, a restaurant, and it was tough to get a table for like twelve people, so we were we were split up into three groups of four, and I was at a table. It was myself, uh, McBeard, Ash Cosplay, and Tailbot, and we all sit down and. We're like, McBeard and I were like, this is a good opportunity to just ask him questions because, you know, we're all fragmented around this restaurant. No one's going to hear us. So we literally, we just asked him. We're like, okay, uh, why did you bring uh, Cleaver? Everyone else, well, we didn't say everyone else is bringing something up. We're like, why Why are you bringing Cleaver? And he's like, literally, exactly as you said, a deadpan. Like, like he looked at us like we're, we're fucking idiots. Uh, and he's like, it's the best. It's the best leader. Like, why? Why are you even asking me this? Like, what a stupid question. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we're just curious because it's you know it's unorthodox. It's not on the ladder. He's like, yeah, everyone's doing it wrong. I'm like, fine by me. And the results spoke for themselves. And that's also what I love about him is the fact that, um, if I ever had any clout or pull within CDPR's tournament structure, I would want to create more emphasis on the personalities and the people playing the games they already do a great job with the interviews but do you remember when they used to do those kind of like those 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 b-roll videos with them walking through yeah. field? like those were great because you got to see either the player's character or you got to see the character that they wanted to portray and mm-hmm. tailbot kind of blurs the lines of like is he actually this cocky or is he playing to a role and i think that he's just playing to a role but deep inside he knows where he to dig into to get into that that role that that you know that persona that he's playing gwent needs more of that because it makes it so great if it was up to me players would even have like entrance music you know like like wwe style like pyro (laughs) and, and entrance music where they just walk in and there's like all kinds of stuff maybe season three four or season four that might be a thing if the if you go back in person and they kind of you know get my uh, i would love that wouldn't it yeah all right so uh those are or that's the final question i'm gonna leave on this one because it's uh, this is the last question i'm gonna ask you specifically if you did have walkout music shinri like let's say like big it's season four masters and the um you know there's a there's an audience there's let's see uh what's a reasonable number Forty thousand people watching us okay live at this gigantic uh stadium in in warsaw and they announce the they're announcing the casters and they're like from Seattle, Washington in the United States 
weighing i don't know how much you weigh uh 250 of pure solid muscle yeah. <laughs> uh it's uh it's shin miri and then boom what music hits oh god you put me on the spot i, I did know. i was yes. trying to think of something rope related <laughs> but i couldn't come up with anything so i'm just gonna take the meme option the numa numa song okay uh but, <laughs> but you have to do the dance too like the whole yeah like, yeah okay the, the, the thing yes yeah like that would be sick. That would get the that would get people hyped up for sure. Yeah. I would come out to uh Jimmy World's the song is called Sweetness. Uh it is literally I've thought about this because when I'm when I'm driving there's nothing else to do but to listen to music and think. I have it, it's in my mind. I know what I would do. It was, that is the song. So friends, if you're out there and you want to know what kind of music that is. So first of all, Numa Numa picturing Shinmiri doing the dance. And then the song is called Sweetness, and it's by a band called Jimmy Eat World. That's what it would be. Um, and that wraps it up. Uh, we'd have, again, like I said, thanks for the submissions. We have plenty more questions. We're going to get to these on the next episode, whatever that will be. Uh, keep sending in your questions. If there's something you want to hear on the show, let us know. But, uh, yeah, Shinmary, it's been a blast. I appreciate you. Uh, I don't want to say coming on the show because this is also your show, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes, and I really appreciate that you you know reach out to me on on the idea of this show, and it's been a blast. It's 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 really been enjoyable talking with you and just chatting and you know and answering the the questions and uh, from the community. Well, and we love you too. So we're gonna end this on every like we do all the time uh, for most broadcasts uh, that Shinmiri and I do, and just be like Shinmiri, I love you, man. Let's end on a high note. Yeah, love you too, Flake. All right, we'll catch you guys later. Love again. you guys out there. Too. That's the one hammered it home. Shin Miri always rescuing the situation. We love you so much. Uh, we'll catch you next time on Flake Miri. <laughs>